The reading today comes from the book of Matthew, chapter 15, verses 8 and 9. This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. So church, I would be remiss if I didn't take a moment to uh, introduce our special guest. Um, for those who don't know Pastor Steve, um, he and his family, his wife Selena and their children have been faithfully loving this community long before Christ Central even was a thought in Daniel and my head. Uh, they have been pouring themselves out for this community faithfully and uh, we are just grateful to be able to partner alongside of them. And then for me personally, uh, it's just been a real privilege to get to know this man. Uh, every time I'm with him, I learn something new. And definitely uh, one of my spiritual fathers, just a really wonderful, godly man. And uh, I know I'm honored to be able to sit under his teaching, and I hope that you are as well. So, church, would you welcome Pastor Steve as he comes to bring God's word? Let's praise the Lord, church. Let's praise the Lord, church. God is good, isn't he? I am honored to be here today, to be invited here. I, uh, this morning, was uh, just dotting the I's and crossing the T's to my message this morning. And um, I was just hyping myself up, just getting my mind, you know, psychologically and mentally ready to come before you today. And I thought I did a good job at that. And at the final end, I'm getting up, getting ready to put on my suit. And my son comes up to me. and He says, Dad, why did Pastor Tim invite you to preach at his church? I'm like, okay. That was a good question. I was like, I don't know. I hadn't given it much thought. And he said, um, he says, um, would you have opened up your pulpit to Pastor Tim? And I started, you know, saying, yes, I would. I, I would love to sit under some good teaching, good men of God, and he's one of them. He says to me, but why you, Dad? I'm like, dang. <laughs> I just psyched myself up to come preach the Word of God, and my son just humbles me. Why you, Dad? And so I just want to piggyback off of my son Today's treasured message in God's word is being brought to you by an earthen vessel. Amen. So, uh, I want to again read today's message and then uh, again ask God's assistance in helping us understand his word and his heart. Again, it's coming out of Matthew chapter 15. We're going to particularly focus on verses 8 and 10, but these verses do have context. So we will generally get into the context of this and then again home in on today's message. Matthew 15, verse 8 and 9. These people draw near to me with their mouth or with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. And in vain they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we cannot understand this book, your words, without your aid. Father, we 
beseech you right now to, again, open our hearts to receive understanding and give us hearts to obey the principles and the precepts that are brought forth today. God, be with my mouth that I might speak your words. God, I pray that those things that I intend not to say will not be heard, and those things that you intend to be heard will be heard by your people. This I pray in Jesus' name. Let us all say amen. Amen. Uh, These people draw near to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. From the jump, I want to let you know that the, the topic of today's message is that God is after your heart. Say, God wants my heart. Say, God wants my heart. Ladies and gentlemen, God wants your heart. And if he doesn't have your heart, he's not pleased with our worship. Do you understand that? See, we have to understand that God wants your heart. He wants you. He wants your mind, your soul. He wants your strength. And he's not satisfied when you give him anything less. See, that's what we are able to do, and that's what sometimes we're willing to do, whether consciously or unconsciously. We, it's like in our relationships, we try to love people or we try to be friends with people um, on, on the level that we want to love them or be friends with them. We want to give people what we want to give them, but we never stop to think and to meditate on how do they want to be loved? How do they want to be befriended? And give them that. And we do the same thing, sadly. We do the same thing for God. We say, I want to love you this way, God. And I want to give you this, Lord God. And, and we say, God, will you please accept that? And God is letting us know today. God says, no. I don't want your praise. I don't want your devotions. I don't want your fastings. I don't even want your claps or your shouts, your tithes or your offerings. If your heart is not in it. If your heart is not in it. God has always been after your heart and my heart when it comes to worship. These people draw nigh or draw near to me with their mouths and honor me with their lips. We can literally give God lip service. Even today, we can shout and we can read the word of God and we can be in activity of religious worship, the Bible tells us. We can do this. It's possible. You can actually do everything that God tells you to do, that he instructs us to do. Do it to the letter. But if your heart is not near him, if your heart is somewhere else, God notices. God notices. He sees. He sees the heart. When um, Samuel was going to Jesse's house to find a king, and he saw a man there in uh, one of Jesse's sons who um, was tall, 
and handsome. He says, he looked upon him and says, surely this is God's anointed. And God says, no. He says, God, God says, I've, in paraphrase, I've looked into his heart and have rejected him. Do not look on the outside, Samuel. He's a man of God. Man looks on the outside, but God sees the heart. God is after our heart when it comes to worship. These people draw near to me with their mouths and honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. And in vain they worship me, teaching for doctrines the commandments of men. Let's just take a moment to just look at the context, okay? The context of this is some scribes and Pharisees travel from afar. They come, Jesus is leaving Jerusalem because these people are trying to kill him, but these scribes and Pharisees search him out, okay? Um, They come looking for him just to spy out what he's doing so they can find some accusation against him, maybe turn him against Herod or maybe turn him against the people to find some, something that they can accuse him about. And they see Jesus' disciples come and they begin to eat food, kosher food, with unwashing hands. And the scribes and the Pharisees find fault, religious fault, and say, do you see what your disciples are doing? They are eating with unwashing hands. They are transgressing the tradition of the elders. Now, what he's saying here, he's not talking about health issues here. You know how your mom tells you to when you come in from outdoors to wash your hands before you eat, okay? And there's some wisdom, there's some human wisdom to that. You know, you don't want to have germs on your hands and, you know, put it in your mouth and ingest it and cause yourself to be sick, so forth and so on. But that's not what they're talking about. They're talking about a ritual, a spiritual cleansing. What they believe was basically in the Levitical order, before you did any service in God's house, his temple, you had to do a ritual cleansing, okay? And what this was was a picture. It was a picture that before you come before God, you had to be clean, okay? And so what God does in his um, uh, omnipotence, he, he teaches us on a level that we can understand. And so what he does is he gives us an objective picture, a objective lesson that no matter where we are, where, what time it is, that we can always be picturing our mind that when we come before God, God wants us to have a clean heart. And so he said that you had to be clean. You had to wash, okay? If you touched a dead person, you had to wash a certain way. Um, there's different things if a woman was pregnant she had to she was unclean for a certain period of time just to let people know just to remind people these are just pictures now of saying that um, if you wanted to come before God you had to be spiritually clean but what we do so often we take the picture and we begin to say that is an end of itself the picture. We start worshiping the thing that 
is supposed to teach us and lead us to God. And so what they did was they took this ritual cleansing that was for the temple, and then the tradition of the elders, these were Jewish men who started adding on to the laws of God and said, okay, any time a person ate, they had to wash their hands if they wanted to be clean. And so what they did was they began this tradition, which after a while became a habit, and then it became law equal to the law of God. All right? Remember, Jesus is rebuking them. He says, you're teaching the doctrines of men. And so they're adding on to the word of God. And we have to be very careful, just as an aside here, we have to be very careful when you add anything to the word of God or when you take away anything to the word of God, you are corrupting the word of God. The Bible says it forbids us to add or take away from the words of God. And so we have to know what the word of God says and stay on that line, line upon line, line upon line, precept upon precept. And so what happens is God says what he says, but sometimes we go to the right, trying to better God's word somehow, trying to improve God's word. How many people know you can't improve God's word? We have to stay on that line. Or sometimes we go to the left. We try to be too liberal, okay, and try to expand. But you can't improve upon God's word. We need to stay on the line. And so these people are adding to the word of God. And now it becomes like a law. And so they look to Jesus' disciples and says, they are breaking the traditions of the elders. What are you going to do about this? And Jesus turns around and says, why do you transgress the commandments of God? Because of your tradition. For God commanded, saying, honor your father and mother, and he who curses father or mother, let him be put to death. But you say, whoever says to his father or mother, whatever profit you might have received from me is a gift to God. Then he need not honor his father or mother. Thus you have made the commandment of God of none effect by your tradition. Hypocrites. Well did Isaiah prophesy about you. These people draw near to me with their mouths and honor me with their lips. What happened here is, is, a, is, a, is a tradition called Corbin. And parents look to their children to help them out, especially in their older age. And some kids didn't want to do this. And God says, honor thy father and thy mother. And one way that you honored your father and mother is you supported them. And for those people who did not want to honor their mother and father and give them sustenance and provide for them, the church, the elders, would then come up with a sleight of hand. They would come up with some loophole. And they say, you know what? If you would just say, I'm giving myself and I'm giving all my property and all my money to the church because God is more important than your parents, right? You're supposed to love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength then if you would just say, Corbin, this is for the Lord, then you don't have to give to your parents anymore. And so this is what some of the kids did. And, and Jesus says to them, you do not honor God's word, and you break his commandment. See, they were trying to act more religious, but they weren't being religious. Oh, God is more important than your parents. This was a way to take money from what was rightfully 
due to the parents because of God's law. You see that? Their heart wasn't trying to go towards God. They weren't trying to worship God. This was a, a way, a means with the church members can, or the church elders could enrich themselves. Jesus said this often. Many times they would come up with schemes like this to rob um, widows. They would take money from widows. These men were greedy. And in the, the context of Jesus talking about what makes a person clean and unclean, it's not what you do with your hands when they're not washed and you're eating food. It's not that what you put into the mouth which corrupts you. It's what comes out of the heart which corrupts you. And so in the context of God telling us what pollutes a man, what defiles a man and a woman, God tells us it's the heart, what comes out of the heart. Proverbs tells us this, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. The heart, ladies and gentlemen, is this, it's the, uh, the hidden man. First Peter 3, 4 says this. It's the hit, tells about the women. It says, women, do not adorn yourself merely on the outside. He wasn't saying don't put on makeup or earrings. He says, but don't let it be just the, 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 the mere put painting of the face or the putting on the uh, uh, plaiting of the hair or putting on the earrings. He says, but let it be the uh, adorning of the inner man of the heart. That's the inner man, the man that we cannot see. That's the heart of man. That's the real man. The Bible is telling us that the heart is where man is morally and where he is mentally, both rational and his emotional elements. In the Old Testament, the heart is the emotions and the reason and the will. The heart represents the true character, the true character, the true character. That's who you are. And that, that is what the Bible says that God looks at the heart. Because you can trick people on the outside. You can look truly religious from the outside. But in the context of Jesus talking about clean hearts and how, what makes a person clean and what makes a person polluted. I mean, in, this, in our day and age, there's a lot of talk about global warming and pollution and how we're destroying the, worst, the world. And the people are talking about pollution, pollution, pollution. But nobody talks about the pollution that comes from the heart. How we can pollute our own lives and we can pollute our families and pollute our, our, our society about what comes out of the heart. Murder comes out of the heart. Lying is out of the heart. Adulteries, out of the heart. God has always been concerned about our heart's condition. And so in the context of talking about what pollutes us, what corrupts us, what, what makes us um, unclean, Jesus reverses this. It's not what goes into your mouth, but what comes out of your heart that pollutes you. But in that context, God gives us a, a glimpse into what he really wants when it comes to worship. And I just want to lift that today out of this context and remind us that when it comes to worship, God is interested first and foremost with our heart. See, the heart speaks of desire. Matthew 5, 28. But I say to you that whoever looks at a woman to lust after her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. God doesn't want us to lust after the world or desire the world. The Bible tells us that God wants us. He reveals his will. He wants us to, 
excuse me, he wants us to desire him. He wants us to desire him. I shared this at a Bible study one time about God wants us to lust after him. And this man, single man, he never heard that concept in his mind. He always heard of lust in a negative sense, with a negative connotation. But the Bible tells us that the spirit lusts against the flesh, and the flesh lusts against the spirit. The, the spirit, the, the, the regenerated spirit that God gives us, desire, has a strong lust, has a strong desire to go after God. That's what God wants. Too often, we come to God with just our minds, but the Bible tells us to love God with our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Sometimes we just come with this spiritual intellectualism, and we're not bringing our hearts to God, our affections, our longings. But yet the same people who can just um, go come to God with their minds— Okay, and be spiritual, mental um, uh, intellectuals. They, they, when you see them at a football game, you see them emoting all kinds of emotions, all kinds of feelings come out. You see when they're sad, when their team loses, you see all this emotion. Because why? Their heart is in it. And God says, I want you to desire me as the deer longs after the water, so my soul longs after thee. The Bible wants us to come after him. He wants us to come after him. Peter, after Jesus' resurrection, Jesus says to him, Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? Peter. Do you love me? God wants us to love him. He wants us to love him. He loves us. For God so loved the world. I mean, I stayed there on that word so for many, many moons. I was like, you couldn't find another word, another eloquent, more eloquent way to say that God, how much God loves us. He, he, he can't even quantify how much he loves us. The, uh, he says, for God so loved the world. God loves us that he gave us his only begotten son. He showed us how much he loved us when he stretched out his arms and died. One thing I look for in my kids, especially my teenage daughter, is what, are, what, are, what is her heart attitude? Because when you, you, you grow up in a, in a Christian home, sometimes you feel like just because your family, your parents love the Lord or, or worship the Lord that, you know, you're okay. Okay? But I pray, I mean, as my daughter's 14 years old now, and I pray more for her now than ever. Why? Because she's, she's, she's understanding, she's becoming more self-aware, she's becoming more in tune with this world, and I want to know what is capturing her heart. What is capturing her heart? See, at the dinner table, I can give her propositional truth. I can tell her what the word of God says. That's the front door. That's the first level of learning. But there's another level of learning, and the world is good at this. At the front door, I'm telling her what the word of God is. But from the back door, culture is creeping in. Culture is creeping in through the back door. And while I'm trying to win her mind, this is what I used to do, I'm trying to win her mind, the world is trying to captivate her heart and her imagination. That's why the, the television has, has gone to a higher definition. 
That's why things are more flashy because they're trying to capture kids' heart and their imagination. And what we're not understanding is that we're not just thinking things. We're not just thinking people. That's not who we are essentially. We are lovers. You're going to love something. We're lovers at heart. God created us to love him. And either you're going to love God or you're going to love this world. You're going to love something. Something's going to captivate your heart. Something or someone. And that's why God says, love me more than you love your mother. Love me more than you love your father. Love me more than you love your sons and your daughters. Because why? Things can get in the way and capture your heart's attention. That's why you can be at church and the the, the message can be so powerful, but yet you're thinking about the basketball game that you're going to afterwards. You can be here bodily, but your heart is somewhere else. And God says, you just worshiped me in vain. God wants our hearts, and he always wants our heart. Now, some people say, you know what? Um, the heart, the heart. The Bible says the heart, the heart is desperately wicked, right? The Bible says the heart is desperately wicked, deceitful above all things, and who can know it? But the heart is something else. The heart is the sphere of divine influence. Romans 2, 14 and 15. You don't have to turn there. For when Gentiles who do not have the law by nature do the things in the law, these, although not having the law, are a law to themselves who show the work of the law, look at this, written in their hearts. God looks to influence our hearts with the word of God. Acts 15, 8. So God who knows the heart acknowledged them by giving them the Holy Spirit just as he did to us and made no distinction between us and them, purifying their hearts by faith. God wants to influence your heart. He wants to purify your heart. Purify them, Lord, with the, thy word. Thy word is truth. And so what I want to look at in this final moments here is that there's two types of worship, okay? There are two types of worship. What is worship, first and foremost? Worship, ladies and gentlemen, is found in our text. These people draw near to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me. Worship, simply put, in this text, is honoring God. Worship is honoring God, finding worth in God. Has anyone ever allowed God to show them their, um, his glory and you captured in your mind God's glory and it captivated you and what you did after that, you responded to that illumination and something came out of your lungs, okay? I don't know what it was, okay? It could have been a hallelujah, glory. It could have been a shout. Sometimes we just weep and we cry because God is, we see how holy God is and how awesome he is and that he would choose to reveal himself to us. See, it's a feeling. Worship is a feeling of God's worth and honoring God for all that he is. It is reflecting back to God the glory that he manifests to us. That is worship. But worship 
has two definitions as well. Worship, when we think of worship, we think of what we do sometimes. We clap our hands. We lie, lie prostrate on the ground. We bow the knee. Um, we kneel on our knees by, by our beds. Uh, we sing. We have liturgies in church. Your church service is close to ours, but not the same. So we have different liturgies, forms of patterns of worship. And so worship is activity. It's activity. One definition for worship are the activities that we do. It says here, these people draw near to me with their mouth and they honor me with their lips. There's activity going on. So worship is activity. But the Bible tells us that if we just bring activity, outward activity to God, God is not pleased. So there's another form of worship, and that is called heart worship. That is drawing near to God with our hearts, honoring him. And so God wants us to bring our hearts in worship. Bring our hearts in worship. God commands worship, Matthew 4.10, when Satan was tempting Jesus and he asked Jesus to bow down and worship him and he would give him all the kingdoms of the world. Then Jesus said to him in Matthew 4.10, Away with you, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. We are to worship God, and I don't think Jesus meant just bring your religious activity. Okay? He wasn't just saying, oh, just check that off your checklist. You did your devotions today. No. He's like, bring your heart to God. When you come to church privately or when you go to God, I mean, when you go to God privately or when you come to, uh, to worship God publicly, God wants us and he's imploring us to bring our hearts as it were to him. Lift your hearts to him. Lift your hearts. When you sing songs, lift your heart to him. When the angel in Revelation 19, he reveals to uh, John, who's writing the Revelation, the Word of God. The angel says to uh, John, because John falls down and worships the angel, the angel says, do not worship me. He says, worship God. We're commanded to worship God. But the kind of worship that God wants from us is a heartfelt worship. Now, some people might, might uh, find fault with this um, heart worship, say, you know what, you, are you talking about emotionalism? And I'm, I, I want to just let you know, I'm not talking about emotionalism, okay? I'm not talking about ecstatic worship because you can give God anything that's fake, okay? Um, and it, for, to mankind, it would look like the real thing. I'm not talking about mere emotionalism, okay? Uh, emotionalism that is void of the word of God, void of the person and the object of God. We worship God, we emote because we see him for who he is. And we're like uh, Peter when Jesus um, uh, got the fish out of the water and he bows down on his knees and he says, depart from me for I'm a sinner. We, 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 we see who Jesus is, we see who the Father is, and then we respond out of knowledge of who God is. But there's some people on one side where they're all about the mind and they never bring their heart to God. And there's other people who are all about emotion but they don't even know who they're worshiping. No, what, what emotions am I referring to? They're all types. 
I broken and I contrite heart, the Lord will not refuse. Fear the Lord. For the fear of the Lord is the beginning of what? Wisdom. Look at this one. Enter into his gates with thanksgiving. God wants us to bring a heart of gratitude to him. When God does something for us, we should have a heart full of thanksgiving and gratitude. God wants to see that in your heart. He doesn't want to just see it on your lips. He's looking at your heart. Are you truly thankful of my mercies and my grace? Oftentimes when I think about how God saved me, ladies and gentlemen, I have to hold back tears because I'm in public. Just the thought of him saving my life. I hate to even imagine where I would be if he had not gotten a hold of my heart and my life and captivated my heart. See, God is worthy of our focus. Joy. Rejoice in the Lord always should be a heartfelt part of our lives. What about hope? Heartfelt. Tears. The Bible tells us that sometimes we need to repent in sackcloth and ashes. We should feel the weight of our, our transgressions and our iniquities. And just cry before the Lord. God says, I want to see that. I want to see that you're grieving over this so that I can make you whole. Blessed are the poor in spirit. God loves a broken and a contractor. He doesn't want your religious sacrifice. He doesn't want your promises because no works that we can do can make us right before the Lord God. He wants to see a broken and a contrite heart, a heart, a soul that is broken over the sin that they committed before a holy and loving God. And God receives that sacrifice. So, I just want to say in closing here that God has burdened my heart with this. He's burdened my heart. It is not so much for the unbelievers as much as it is for the believers. Because what God has showed me in my life, and perhaps in the life of other people, is that that passion that we had once upon a time is able to be lost. Because when we were regenerated, God gave us a new heart, and he put us in our hearts a desire for the things of God. Okay, And God cleansed us up. When the Bible talks about a clean heart, this is a powerful, a powerful point I want to make to you. David, in the Psalm 51, when he's repenting, he says, um, Father, create in me a clean heart. That word create is the same word you find in Genesis 1 where the Bible says, in the beginning, God created. The same exact word. And what happens is God does not want to clean up the heart that you already have. He gives you a brand new heart. He gives you a brand new heart. God says, I will give them a heart of flesh and not of stone. And so what happens is we're regenerated and we have a new heart. But because we live in this fallen world, ladies and gentlemen, saints, that clean heart can become divided. Okay? It can become divided. On one hand, we enjoy God. Then the other hand, we're enjoying the things that go against God. 
and about God is telling me about my life and about the church is that we got to guard our hearts with all diligence. We above the Bible says above all things guard your heart. For out of it flows the issues of life. God can give you a clean heart, but it can become polluted. God can give you a focused heart on him, but it can become divided if we do not guard our hearts. And Satan knows this, and he's so clever. He's so clever. And he says, I don't want you worshiping God, but I have no problem with you believing that you're pleasing him in your worship. So God says, I want your heart. In Revelation, I leave with this, to one of the churches, he says all these good things about them, that he's pleased with their doctrine and how they um, don't like false teachers. He says, but I have one thing. Look at this, just one thing. I have one thing against you, that you have left your first love. He says, repent. Repent. Or I will come and chastise you and judge you. God, he, he asks for what he wants. He makes it very clear to us. It's not what the Pharisees and the scribes were after, an outward show of lip service. God wants your heart. And you know what? It doesn't matter so much how, what it looks like on the outside if your heart is right on the inside. Amen? Let's give God a round of applause. Thank you, Pastor Tim, for this privilege to speak to your people. I'm going to um, pray at this time. And maybe God is dealing with you right where you are about your heart relationship with him. Let God do his work right now in your heart. Respond to God the way that he wants you to respond. I'm going to pray for someone here today who may not know God. and God has spoken to them. He wants to be your God. He wants you to be his child. I'm going to pray for you. I'm going to also pray for the, the believer who has lost his or her way, chose to give God what they wanted to give God and not what God demands, what God is worthy of, the focused affections of our heart. Maybe right now you have re, you've devoted yourself again to giving God what he wants and giving God the brokenness that he wants, the joy, the thanksgiving, the hope, the tears. I just want to lift you up right now. Father, I thank you for, first and foremost, the heart that you've just regenerated today, the heart that you made alive to respond to who you are, to your glory, to your, to your son, to your Holy Spirit. God, the heart that now wants and longs to know you more. God, I thank you for regenerating that heart, making that person born again and alive to you and dead to the world. Thank you, Lord God, for saving that person today. God, I also want to thank you for 
loving us and having mercy upon us, the believers, who, Father, our passion for you and our desiring you has grown lukewarm, maybe even cold. But, God, you love us and you are faithful to us and you will not leave us to ourselves You said you will always be with us. You will never forsake us. And I thank you, God, for reminding us today what position and what heart attitude we are to have before you when we come to you in worship. We're to not just bring our liturgy. We're not just to bring our religious activities, but we're to bring our hearts. God, thank you for reminding us that you are focused on our hearts. And you want us to love you with all our mind, with all our heart, with all our soul and strength. This is the first commandment. Thank you for loving us and reminding us us what it is that you're after. And I pray today, Lord God, that we will choose to set our affections on things above and not on things below. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.